Please grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And just a note for you in case this makes any difference in your life. Um, next month, we are doing, uh, observing communion on the first Sunday of the month, which is actually a week from today. A week from today is August 1st. We usually uh, share in the Lord's table together the second Sunday of the month, but in August, it'll be August 1st, which is one week from today, uh, just so you're aware of that. Again, if it makes any difference to you at all. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, where we're going to dwell for the first half of today's message. And I'll read that verse and then open with a word of prayer. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Father, we thank you for this simple yet complex principle that we have here in your word today that is to inform our thinking, that is to inform our decision-making, that is to help us as we seek to live by gospel love in our community here as a church family and also in the world. Lord, we ask that today as we look into your word that you would be magnified, that though we recognize that I am a sinner, that I wouldn't get in the way, but that I would be a faithful messenger of your word today and that your word would be clear to your people. God, help us to understand and apply your word, that we would be more like Christ because of the time that we spend in your word together today, and we ask all of it in his name. Amen. Well, just to remind you, in case you've forgotten, Paul is wrapping up his answer about what to do with meat that has been offered to idols, an animal sacrificed to a false god, which we learned last week isn't a false god at all, but a demon. There's a demon behind those idols, and this animal was sacrificed to a demon. Paul started answering this question at the beginning of chapter 8, and here we are finally coming to the conclusion and getting some real application, some real tying up of loose ends for the Corinthians about how they were to handle that meat. Now, a passage like this, you may approach and think, this doesn't have much relevance to us today. We don't go down to a meat market and pick out our meat, some of which has been offered to idols and some of which, some of which hasn't. However, I do hope you'll see today that there is great relevance in this passage for us, that there's great application for us today as we observe Paul's answer here and the way he thought through that answer under the inspiration of the Spirit, and that we can extract really relevant principles for today. So don't hear meat sacrifice to idols and think, oh, well, that was for a different time. Uh, the Bible is for all people of all ages, isn't it? It never loses its relevance, does it? There's always something for us to learn because this is God-breathed and He has preserved it for us today. So again, verse 23 in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul answering this question says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So let's think through laws and prophets. We see both of these words here having to do with the law and having to do with profitability. How should you view things in your life? How should you go about making decisions in your life, particularly when there are things that you're doing that seem borderline foolish? Like, well, this could be a good idea, it could be a really bad idea, I don't know. It could be foolish or it could be harmful, something that has some risk to it. 
How do you go about making a decision in that situation? Or what if something just feels wrong? You know what those decisions are like, right? It just feels wrong. Well, how are you to go about deciding what to do? If it's a gray area that the Bible doesn't talk to specifically, how do you go about making decisions? Well, let's seek to answer that question, starting with verse 23 today. In the previous section that we looked at last week, Paul expressed quite clearly, he totally ruled out the idea of joining in pagan rituals. This idea of going to a pagan temple where they sacrificed an animal, being alongside them and eating off the altar with them, that meat from that animal in that service that was sacrificed to a demon. Paul said, no, not for you, Christian, not for you to do. You aren't to be found there. A Christian cannot rightly support that. A Christian cannot rightly partake in that. That's false worship. You can't do that. But now Paul moves on. He's switching gears, and we're going to see that there's a meat market that he's going to talk about. So we're out of the temple. We're out of the pagan temple now, and we're talking about what about that leftover meat from the temple that ends up at a market that they're selling? Is that still off limits? Well, Paul is talking about that issue, and he starts by saying all things are lawful. All things being lawful means it's permissible. Your translation might actually say all things are permissible. It's the same idea meaning that you're allowed to proceed. Paul says you're allowed to go forth. So we ask the question, if he's stating that all things are lawful, does that mean Christians are a lawless people? Because, you know, another way of thinking about this idea of all things are lawful, another way of thinking of that is, well, there are no rules. (laughs) If all things are lawful, well, then does that mean there are just no rules and we can just go off and do whatever we would like? Uh, Well, there's, of course, a yes and a no to this, okay? Uh, First thing that we need to recognize is that we are not under the law, but we are under grace. Isn't that right? You read the book of Galatians, you read the book of Romans, you read the book of Hebrews. We are not under the law. We're under grace. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Christ didn't come to abolish the law, but He came to fulfill the law. And we recognize, particularly through these New Testament epistles, that we are no longer under the law as Christians, but we're under grace. The Bible talks about the law of Christ in multiple places. In the book of James and elsewhere, it talks about the law of liberty and the law of Christ. And that is the church's law for today, the law of Christ. We're under Christ's law, not Moses' law. We are not under the Mosaic law as the Jews were in the Old Testament. Now, There's an important note to that, though. That doesn't mean Christ came and fulfilled the law, so we wouldn't have the law, so then we could just pretend like there are no morals. That's not what Paul's teaching here. That's not what anybody in the Bible is teaching. You see, there's an aspect in which morality is eternal and transcends every age that exists in the Bible. Uh, Before the law of Moses, for instance, you know, Moses got the Ten Commandments, don't lie, don't steal, don't murder, honor your parents, etc., etc., Moses was given that from the Lord, but before that time, those moral standards still existed, didn't they? Remember when God flooded the world? He flooded the world because they were wicked. God still had moral standards before the law was given to Moses because the morality that God reveals to us in different ways throughout different ages is wrapped up in His eternal nature. It's eternally been wrong to lie. It's eternally been wrong to steal. It's eternally been wrong to do those things because this is directly tied to the nature and character of God. And we see this 
revealed to us not only in Moses' law, but we see it before and after. And so for the church today, we recognize that morality does exist, but we're just not under the law of Moses. Christ being the fulfillment of the law means that we are released from the law. This is in Romans 7. It says that we're released from the law. And this question of lawfulness comes up quite a bit in the Scriptures and perhaps comes up quite a bit in your life, and we need to see this clearly. For instance, if you read through the Gospels, the scribes and the Pharisees were always showing up, weren't they, when Jesus was out with His disciples. And so often they were asking the question, is that lawful? They would see the disciples doing this or Jesus doing that and say, well, is that lawful? Is that, is that actually permissible? Is that lawful? Well, Jesus never said in the Gospels, all things are lawful, did He? They were still living in the Old Covenant at that time, and there was a legitimate side to that question, though, of course, we all recognize the motives of the scribes and the Pharisees was wrong. There's a legitimate aspect to that question, and uh, Christ would usually answer with some amazing uh, truths and not actually answer their question. He would usually put them in their place, uh, which was always uh, a joy to read. But he never said, all things are lawful, yet now we come to Paul, and Paul says, all things are lawful. Well, why does Paul say that? Well, it's because Jesus has now fulfilled the law. We're now living in a new covenant. We're no longer in the old covenant. But all things? Really, Paul? All things are lawful. Wow, that's quite something, uh, quite a way to phrase that. I don't know if we would phrase it that way. He's not really saying life is a free-for-all, is he? Well, no. I mean, just look back up at verse 14. In verse 14 that we covered last week or the week before, he gives them a directive, the Corinthians, flee from idolatry. So, obviously, idolatry is not lawful, right? <laughs> flee from idolatry because it is not something that Christians should be found doing. He gave them a command. Say He gave them a rule under the inspiration of God. So there are many New Testament commands for God's church to obey, and idol worship, avoiding idol worship is, of course, one of them. And yet there are many subjects in our lives upon which the New Testament doesn't touch, upon which the Old Testament doesn't touch. We're living in a day and age where all kinds of scenarios have arisen with technology or whatever else that we're involved in that just create a lot of gray areas, right? And we think through it, and we can extract principles from here and there, but at the end of it, we kind of just have to throw up our hands and say, I don't know. Is that smart or is that foolish? Is that wise? Is that wrong? We just don't know. Well, we must apply a standard other than sheer lawfulness, shouldn't we? Because we're not under the law, and there are so many things that fall into that area, uh, the gray area. Let me read to you a quote from C.K. Barrett as we start to get our mind on how we should think through these things. Barrett wrote in his commentary, I love this quote, it is not a Christian duty to seek out things that a man may be permitted to do. It is a Christian duty to build up the church. Can we put that up there? It's not in there? Well, I, I, I typed them all up this morning. Maybe I didn't, add, oh, I didn't add them to the service. So, Walker, on the fly, let's see if you can add those on there, okay? Because I want to make sure that these are up there. I've got a few more. But let me read that again to you. C.K. Barrett says, it is not a Christian duty to seek out things that a man may be permitted to do. It is a Christian duty to build up the church. So if we go about life and enter into these areas where we're just not sure what to do, and we say, oh, well, let's just, let's just seek out what I'm allowed to do, and if, if the Bible doesn't touch on it, I'll just assume I'm allowed to do it. That's the wrong approach to life. 
<laughs> That's a very selfish approach to life, isn't it? The duty for the Christian is not to find out what are all the things that you're allowed to do. The duty for the Christian is to seek to build up the church. And that's the paradigm that Paul sets before us today. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Not all things edify. See that in verse 23? He's putting our minds on the profitability, spiritual profitability, and the spiritual edification of the people around us. So as we think about profitability or edification, this is always a question in your life, or it should be. In every decision that you make, you should consider the element of building others up in every decision. Remember, Paul here is talking about going to a store and buying meat. If there's anything in your life that you would look at and say, that's a mindless activity, you would say just going to the store and picking something up. But Paul here is looking even into that aspect of their lives and saying, let's consider the profitability, the spiritual profitability for people. Now, this is not the first time that this was brought up by Paul. Turn with me back to chapter 6, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 6. In verse 12, Paul writing about sexual purity in this section, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul here is talking about living free in Christ, not having any sin that totally controls your life in such a way that you're unable to do that which is set before you by God. So we are to consider the profitability for ourselves not just for others, but think for yourself, not in a selfish way, but in a spiritual way. Is this for my spiritual good? Is this helping me or hurting me spiritually? And of course, we need to think about the profitability for others. Will this edify those around me? And that's the word that Paul uses in verse 23, that word edify. It's a word really related to constructing a house, to build up. Will this be constructive for my neighbor? Will this be constructive for my Christian brothers and sisters? And this becomes your guiding principle. Out there making decisions in all of those gray areas, here's your guiding principle. Is it profitable? Is it edifying for others? And of course, Paul started with this idea when he started to answer the question at chapter 8, verse 1. Look back a page or two at chapter 8, verse 1. This is when he started to go down this road. He said, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And here it is, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. He, from the beginning, was putting their mind on building other people up, being constructive for the sake of others' spiritual good. Building up in love as we go about making decisions in our life is priority one. Priority one is building up in love, not satisfying our own desires. So there's a cohesiveness to Paul's long answer. This is a three-chapter answer that Paul gives to this simple question. He could have just said, okay, in this scenario, this is what you do with the meat, in that scenario, this is what you do with the meat, and in this scenario, that's what you do. But instead, Paul gives them a full-orbed answer, and you might read through it and say, he's all over the place. But there's a cohesiveness here, and that is, number one, we are to not sin, in this case particularly, engaging in idolatry. Do not engage in idolatry. And number two, pursue edification. Number one, don't sin. Number two, pursue edification. So should you or should you not? Does it edify the church? We employ 
the standards of gospel love. We employ the New Testament commands for God's people, how we are to live in light of Christ's fulfillment of the law and the example that he gave us of agape love. So this looks like many different things in your life. Of course, the example here that Paul is talking about was a very hot cultural issue for them at that time, idols and meat and all of that stuff. But in your life, this can take many different forms, can't it? I hope you can start to think about how in your life, in these different areas, we need to be elevating the, the spiritual edification of other people over the things that we just mindlessly do. We shouldn't go through our lives mindlessly. We should think about what God has called us to do, namely to represent Christ in the world. We need to consider what kind of sacrifices we can make that are constructive for our fellow neighbors. Gordon Fee said this in his commentary, and this is another great one, so I want to read through this one twice. Knowledge and rights lead to pride. They are ultimately not Christian values because the bottom line is selfishness, the right to do as I please, when I please. Love and freedom lead to edification. They are ultimately Christian behavioral values because the bottom line is the benefit of someone else that they may be saved. Okay, let me read it again. See how he's contrasting. There are just two sentences here. They're constructed the same way, but there's a contrast. Knowledge and rights lead to pride. They are ultimately not Christian values because the bottom line is selfishness, the right to do as I please when I please. Love and freedom lead to edification. They are ultimately Christian behavioral values because the bottom line is the benefit of someone else that they may be saved. I heard of a pastor who, when preaching through this passage, wanted to do an open mic testimony time, which is always dangerous. <laughs> you perhaps have been in services where there's been an open mic and you thought, that was a mistake. Uh, so you always have to do those very carefully with lots of disclaimers. But he had a, a testimony time while he's preaching through this where he ended the sermon and said, you know, for anyone who has an example from your life where the Lord has led you to make a sacrifice on behalf of others, come on up and, and share it that we can think through these things. And with the exception of one man who would do some occasional drinking or some occasional smoking from a pipe or something like that and saying, look, I've learned there are certain people around, around whom I just shouldn't do those things, no one came up. And this was a church bigger than ours. And no one came up. And perhaps everyone was just feeling shy that day or whatever. But there's also an element there too of, have we thought through this? Have we thought through the areas where we may make sacrifices for the upbuilding of our brothers and sisters? Or do we just go about life thinking, this is what I want to do when I want to do it. I have the freedom. I have the right. That is not the way the Christian should live. Because we've been redeemed for something much greater than that, haven't we? We've been redeemed by a Savior who lived much greater than that, didn't He? And so as we think through the implications of gospel love, at the heart of it is just looking to sacrifice to build another up. This is what Jesus has done in the gospel, and this is how we grow in our sanctification, is by sacrificing for the sake of love and by having others sacrifice on our behalf. Have you ever felt more love than when someone has laid something down for you? Have you ever felt more loved than when someone really goes out of their way, does something they didn't need to do, but they did it for your good? This is how we grow together. So how shall we then live? 
what goes through our minds as we seek to make decisions? There's, there has to be a priority of humble, loving wisdom. Now, with my children, I usually ask two questions when they're doing something that just looks suspicious and I don't know what it is. <laughs> that happens a lot. <laughs> but question number one is, are you being obedient? I don't know exactly what they're doing, but they know the difference. Are you being obedient? And then question number two, if they say yes to that, is are you being wise? Are you being obedient and are you being wise? Are you being lawful and is it profitable? That's another way of asking that. Are you obeying my law (laughs) in our house and are you being profitable? Are you being wise? So in the church, we can think this way too as Christians, as we approach something. Is this for my spiritual good? You could ask that question. Is this for my spiritual good? And secondly, you could ask, is this for their spiritual good? Whether that's your neighbor, maybe someone who's not even saved, or perhaps it's someone else in this body. Is it for my spiritual good? Is it for their spiritual good? Because we're looking for edification. That's our principle as we go about making decisions. We deprioritize ourselves for God's will to be done and for His people's good. And this applies to even those with whom especially with those that you disagree with, those who see things differently than you, those who live a life differently than you, the people that you are least apt to sacrifice for because you just don't really get along or know each other that well. Well, particularly looking to them and seeing how you can build them up. It's a great practice in the church, isn't it? Well, this is right where Paul goes in relation to the food question. Our focus must be on building up in love. Let's look at verse 24. Really hammering the point home, he says very plainly, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. These are your marching orders, Christian. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Of course, ultimately, this is displayed in the sacrifice of Christ who died not just for his neighbors but for his enemies, who stood in our stead to redeem us. And this is the love now we've been given. This is our principle for living. And even though it's a general principle, this has profound implications. This is actually a major theme in the book of 1 Corinthians, something that I hadn't picked up as a major theme before we started going through this series, but now I see it in almost every chapter. Paul's heart for them is to understand that others are more important than themselves. You know, I've read through the book of 1 Corinthians, I don't know how many times, and you see the divisions in the church, you see the way they've abused spiritual gifts, and certain things come to mind. But really the theme to all of Paul's instruction here is don't seek your own good, but the good of your neighbor. I think perhaps all of 1 Corinthians could be summed up with verse 24. And we'll see it more and more in this letter. Think of chapter 13, the great love chapter. Love does not seek its own. That's at the heart of love, and that's what guides us as Christians. But it's not just here where we get this instruction. Romans 15, verse 2, Romans chapter 15 and verse 2, we see the same thing. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Same principle. And also in Philippians 2, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interest, your own personal interest, 
but also for the interests of others. It's a key theme in Christian living, laying down our lives for our neighbors. And what you could sum all this up as saying is, your neighbor is more important than you. That's how you're to view life. Now, from God's perspective, of course, He's not ranking people more important than another. That's a very carnal way of looking. But your heart, your view about approaching life and your relationships, your neighbor is more important than you. And you might think, well, what about the stuff I want to do? I've got stuff I want to do. I've got things I like, things I enjoy. What about all those things? Well, Paul doesn't leave a lot of room for that in these texts, does he? <laughs> he wrote 1 Corinthians 10, he wrote Philippians 2, he wrote Romans 15, and he's pretty clear. There's no room for putting your personal interests at the forefront. But now think of this. What if we all lived that way, all Christians? What if we were all fighting each other to serve one another? That's such, a, such an unfamiliar thought because we get so caught up in ourselves, don't we? But as we pursue love and unity and wisdom and humility together, we're moving toward that. We should be moving toward that as a body, more and more seeking to lay down ourselves for the sake of others. And the Corinthians were to have this in mind when it came to consuming the meat. So yeah, back to that meat. Let's get back to the issue at hand. How does this apply to choosing the meat? Well, again, I want to reiterate that Paul is, is bringing this principle down to even some of the most mundane activities of life, like buying food. These are present, active imperatives in verse 24. Let no one seek his own good. That is an ongoing command for the church. We're to seek the good of our neighbor. It's for all generations of the church, at all times, always. This is to be on our minds. We are to pursue that. And so far, Paul has given us examples of that in different places. Look at chapter 8 again with me. In verse 10, as we apply this to the meat offered to idols, look at chapter 8, verse 10. We looked at this last week too. Paul talking about dining in the temple precincts, not joining in worship, but dining there. He says, For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. In a situation like that, where you're dining in a place that you're comfortable dining in, but your brother or sister is not, you are to be sensitive to their conscience. And you're to consider that as you make the decision. And Paul goes as far as saying, I'll just give up meat altogether if that's what it takes. Talk about sacrifice, right? And putting others' needs ahead of his own. Look at chapter 9, verse 31, or 21 rather. Chapter 9, verse 21. That was just a test. There is no 31 in chapter 9. <laughs> but chapter 9, verse 21, Paul says that he became all things to all people and specifically in verse 21 to those who are without law, he became as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. So Paul's motivation here is, is twofold. The first is to build up his brother. Don't cause them to stumble, but build them up. And the second example he gives in chapter 9 is to wisely win the lost. 
And so as we seek the spiritual good for our neighbor, we are to not cause our brothers to stumble. That would be harmful to them. We're to build them up. And secondly, even with the lost, we are to win them with wisdom. We are to pursue their spiritual good by winning them with wisdom. And now Paul, back in our text today, is going to make another application of the principle talking about the meat market. Look down at verse 25 with me, 1 Corinthians 10, 25. He gives them this instruction. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for the conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. To summarize where we've gotten in Paul's answer, I think Thomas Schreiner does a good job in his commentary just laying out what Paul has instructed so far. He says, It was noted previously that when sacrifices were offered, some of the food was burnt up by the sacrifice. Some was eaten by those invited within the precincts of the temple. And the leftover food was sold in the market. Here the question of what believers should do with food sold in the market is considered. So you've got the sacrifice, the fire burns up a lot of that meat, but some meat remains. People are invited in, join them for worship and eat off the altar. Paul says, no, don't do that. You're invited into the temple precincts, not for worship, not joining in false worship, but to dine there in the precincts of the temple. Paul says, matter of conscience. And now we're talking about anything that was left over from those events being in the meat market, and Paul says, don't even ask questions about it. Just go for it. Eat anything. You see that in verse 25? Eat anything that is sold there. Well, that's pretty amazing. Eat anything without question. Now, this may be uncomfortable for those who are comforted by laws and having legalism in your life. There are people who get comfort by that, and they think, okay, well, just tell me. Yes or no, uh, just, just tell me, because it feels wrong, so it must be wrong. Well, Paul says that's not the way you should think. You should go about it thinking that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. There it is in a meat market. Go for it. Eat it. Eat without question. Your individual shopping trip to the meat market is not to be infested with all these questions that you stir up in yourself about the origin of that meat. Paul says don't do it because the meat market did offer a variety of meats from a variety of sources, yet we are to not plague ourselves with questions. The only standard as you walk through the meat market, Paul says, the only standard you apply is, does it look yummy? <laughs> does it look yummy? If the answer is yes, go for it. Eat anything without question. And he says, without question for conscience's sake. Keep your conscience clear. Avoid obstacles to your spiritual good. Don't get all riled up in yourself about this, but instead just eat it. Just buy it. God made it. God's offering it to you in the, uh, through this market. Just go for it. Does that mean Paul is saying that ignorance is bliss? <laughs> First time you read through it, it kind of reads that way, right? Well, you, you think, okay, well, just don't ask questions. That way you're not uh, responsible. It, it keeps you from being responsible because you're just being ignorant of it all. Don't tell me. And you've probably been in many situations like that. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Is that what Paul is urging us to do? I don't think quite so. He's stating that this isn't even a conscience issue. You're not in the temple worshiping. You're not performing some sort of ritual act to a demon. You're in a meat market. You're at a grocery store. So don't make it a conscience issue. The meat is there. Don't make it into a conscience issue because it's not even a conscience issue. 
Don't make it into something that it isn't. Now, some of you find yourself in situations like that, and you think, well, it just doesn't feel right. And perhaps some Corinthians would say, it just doesn't feel right to do that. And Paul's correcting them. Have your feelings be instructed by this. It's not even an issue. And here's why you should approach it that way. Because if you do inquire, and you are told of the source, you are just going to get yourself all tangled up in knots on the inside. Robert Gramacki, this is a tiny quote, but I really liked it. Robert Gramacki said, too many scruples can hurt rather than help at times. <laughs> Isn't that true? We just go off wondering this and that, tell me the why, tell me the how, and we're just looking for something to be worked up over, it seems like. Paul's saying, don't do that to yourself. Don't go about shopping for meat that way. Man, I, I'm not, I don't lean that direction. You guys know me. I'm not someone who's looking for all the fine details about what I can and can't do anyway, so I just really don't understand the Corinthians who would have worked up over this. It's like, there were Corinthians that worried about that? Wow, what a bunch of weirdos, you know? I just, just go get your meat. That's just, you know, that's just kind of how I approach life. Um, and again, we don't have these meat markets, but we do have situations like this. For instance, when you go to a gas station to pump gas into your vehicle, should you inquire about who that gas station owner is and what he uses the profits for? Because you start going down that road and you're going to get yourself all riled up, aren't you? You're going to start wondering, well, should I support that gas station? Because now I know that about the gas station owner. And I don't want to support what he supports, so I, I shouldn't go there. I think it's the same principle. The gas is there. It's meat offered to idols. Don't ask questions for conscience sake. Just get your gas and move on. Just move on. Not just the gas station, but banks too. And it gets more complex the bigger these companies get. I was at my bank not that long ago, just last month, which of course was Pride Month. And there I am standing in line, keeping six feet apart because they told me to. And there's the TV scrolling through all these images. And one of the images is all these different gay pride cards you can get. All the different ways you can express your support for something that God calls evil and wicked. Should I switch banks? It just riles you up inside, doesn't it? And of course, there are times when your conscience will say, boycott this place, boycott that place, and I'm not here to tell you don't do that or do that or whatever. But a lot of things fall into this category of meat in a meat market that was once sacrificed to an idol. Think of hotel chains, too. I know of one hotel chain known by someone who believes something absolutely, totally different than what we believe. Should we just avoid that hotel chain? Maybe there is an element of ignorance is bliss to all of this, you think, <laughs> or you just don't even know. But it gets even more complicated. You think about things that are used by our church to build up the church. There are certain songs that we sing that if you say, hey, you know what happened to that author of that song by the time he died? Ooh, should we sing that anymore? What about certain books? We know recently there have been several higher-profile Christians who have written many books who have been found out for doing something, and some of them are now dead. Someone has one of their books, and we say, oh, um, you know what happened to that guy, right? What, he, what was found out? Do we burn all the books, or do we keep the books? Those are really complicated matters, and we have to think through these things deeply about is this for my spiritual good and is this for other spiritual good? And how are we are to go about 
making such decisions in these gray areas. These are very difficult, but these are real. It's a part of the Christian life. But as we consider the meat that's in that meat market that the Corinthians were dealing with, look at verse 26 with me again, a quotation of Psalm 24. Paul says, look, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. That's why you can eat freely. Even knowing the possibility that that animal was once used in a false worship ritual. You go to buy, uh, you know, a big old chunk of beef, and you Corinthians, you know that it's quite possible that that was used in a pagan ritual. Even knowing that that's a possibility, just buy it. (laughs) If that's what you want, just buy it, because it's made by God, it was created by God, and here it is offered to you for your good. The source of all the meat in the meat market is the creator of all the animals. And so we appeal to that greater truth, and and that truth supersedes any kind of twisting of the truth that might get you all worked up in a tizzy. We avoid that knowing this great truth. And at the end of the day, we have the advantage of living on this side of all of Paul's letters, all of the New Testament, the Corinthians didn't have this opportunity. We can turn to a passage like 1 Timothy 4, 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, which gives us this wonderful reality about our eating, uh, how we're to go about eating. Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. That's nice, isn't it? <laughs> That's nice. We appeal that God created everything. All food, and this is, of course, in the context of food. You can read the broader passage, 1 Timothy 4. Nothing is to be rejected food-wise if it is received with gratitude. So that is absolutely true. That steers our conscience as we go about our meat market, whatever that may be. We understand that the earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. And yet we also recognize that our neighbor has priority, doesn't he or doesn't she? Our neighbor has priority over what we desire. So, in the meat market, and with this meat that has been offered to idols, individually, Paul says, go for it, without question, go for it. But as you think relationally, consider uh, showing great sacrifice by removing stumbling blocks. Prioritize loving your brother or your sister. And next week, we're going to look into that as uh, he talks about one of the unbelievers inviting you and going and eating something at an unbeliever's house. That is yet a different scenario. How do you love your neighbor? How do you sacrifice for spiritual edification when an unbeliever invites you over? So we'll consider that next week. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this word, and we thank you for the different ways that you make application by your Spirit. Please open our eyes and open our hearts this week as we seek to live for you and to honor you and to respect your word in all ways as we make decisions, and that we would consider how to live in such a way that is for our spiritual good and also for the spiritual good of our neighbor. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.